everybody. It is season two of the Sweetness and Ponies podcast with Anna and Fran. So we're going to do something a little bit different this season. We're going to be a bit more creative. We're going to tell some stories. We're going to read some great scenes. And we're still going to talk about things that are really important to us. We hope you enjoy. everyone it's Fran here today Anna and I will be talking about climate change we are by no means experts but we are very passionate about the topic and so we will be talking a bit about climate change some of the research that we've done this week uh, a little bit of our opinions on it um, some tips that we have it's fairly relaxed and obviously we can't go into enough detail really because climate change is such a vast topic but we hope to just get the ball rolling on some climate conversations and who knows this might be part one of a series of climate conversations because there's always more to talk about yeah but we're not experts so don't take our word as gospel and we will point you in the direction of some real experts some real scientists some charities organizations and yeah Hope you enjoy. Feels like a lot has happened since we last recorded an episode, which was only two weeks ago, but it feels feels like a lot. Yeah. Namely yeah. the US elections, which I was gripped by. But first, we're gonna do a little uplifting update, which we haven't done for a very long time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> do you wanna go first? okay well my uplifting update (laughs) you know what i've just had this newfound love for sleep it's not even a thing that happened but recently i sleep so well and i don't want to be like annoying about it because i know that a lot of people don't sleep well and it's really annoying and i've definitely been through those phases as well but i'm just really happy because i just knock Ow! I just knock out, and I'm so happy with myself. For just, I think it might be the fresh air. I don't know what it is. I've been walking around a lot. Is that because you're busy? Have you just been like so tired? You just snap out. I think it's a combination of like I am keeping quite busy because otherwise I spin into these weird head spaces because we're in lockdown right now. So I do keep busy, which I enjoy, um, but also because we are in lockdown, I also sort of rest enough. It's not the kind of busy where I just get exhausted and my brain spins out. And also I get outside. And I think also I've just come out of a long period of a lot of stress. So (laughs) now coming out of that, my body's like, I need to recover. Mm, Very good. I enjoy it. Very hard to achieve a good sleeping habit. Well, my uplifting update comes from today. Today I did um, a little bit of meditation. Nice. I'm not a particularly meditative person. It's just never like I've tried it before. I've tried um, trying to be consistent with it, but I've just never been consistent with it. Mm. And today I was just like, I just got to do a little, little seven minute meditation. And 
I realized how much I needed it in that moment because my whole body was just like knotted. And then the second thing was um, I got hot chocolate today, which I've been craving for a long time. Oh, just got a little hot chocolate. And they had, they were a bit fancy with it. Um, and they put like solid hot chocolate, like hot, solid chocolate around the rim of the cup. So when oh. you drank, it would melt in your mouth. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I also, I think that we should potentially also mention a general uplifting update, which we already sort of mentioned in the US election. Mm. Um, the energy shifted. Yes. And I think that, you know, despite what people think and the beliefs they've had, I don't think that, you know, Biden and Kamala, I don't, they're not, they don't have perfect histories. They don't have perfect pasts, but um, the future of them is so much more hopeful, I think, than yeah. I, I wouldn't even mention. I found that so uplifting. I didn't realise how emotional I would feel about it until it happened and I was just like yes I'm so happy and oh my god all this weird stress which I sort of felt like maybe I should like why am I feeling this stress I'm not in America like uh, but I I was stressed and it was impact really does yeah it really does it has an impact because of course we're so interlinked now that it definitely has an impact so um so yeah I, I just thought we should also put that on top there I, from a climate perspective, and we are talking about climate change today, and we are by no means experts, but I would say that the change in president is going to be beneficial for climate change, not only in the US, because I mean, Biden just, he takes it far more seriously than most people. And you know, the current administration deny that climate change exists. So it's fairly low bar. But yeah. Biden sees it as a moral obligation to, you know, work towards a greener future. And that will naturally have knock-on effects towards the UK, France, Germany, like most of the Western powers will probably follow in Biden's stead if he is able to um do what he wants to do. So that is um a beneficial very very beneficial thing related to climate change to do with the new change in administration yeah totally and i just think that having conversations about it like we're gonna have we're not experts but having conversations about it with the people you know the people around you all this kind of stuff um is always going to be useful because you know we need to understand these things and sort of work together before we can really make good progress um and so that's why we think that these conversations are important and we're going to have one now <laughs> <laughs> we both wanted to start um by just talking about how much power we do have because i know i definitely get into these head spaces where i'm like oh my god i'm one person this is huge it's catastrophic it's it's literally obviously on a global scale and that can be overwhelming but like we do all have power to change like if it if it's not in each and every one of us like who's it with so we do have that power and the 
positive stuff that has happened has come from people and not people that are like you know thinking that oh they like climate they weren't born climate activists no exactly and you know those people are important but also the people that they're talking to e.g you and me (laughs) everyone else are important because we're the people that actually have to do it and obviously then there's also the politicians who really need to get down there and get it done but we also have a role to play and I think just focusing on what you know my role can be to play I think that really helps and empowers me and makes me feel like okay I can I can do something and I feel like starting with little things always helps a lot because if I just wake up one morning and think I'm going to solve the climate change situation um it's not it's not going to be pretty yeah no but if I just build up with little things then that I turn my helplessness into small actions built up essentially Mm -hmm. and I think better than letting it sort of drown me um yeah I agree I feel like I mean Anna and I went on a little nature walk with my doge the other day my local common and we spoke about a lot of these things and I'm not gonna lie at the time I was thinking big picture big picture big picture all the time and all these big things that I had in my head that could happen that I could do and and these like yeah walking points I had in my head and loads of ideas where I didn't have a place to put them mm. um or a politician to talk to or a group of people to talk to I have all of these thoughts in my head and then one of the things you said I think you've just said it just then but like one of the things you said when we were walking was like keep the big things in mind but do the small things towards that goal and that's something I've been thinking about last couple days is things take time and for me I started to think okay what can I do which might make a difference in my local area if you know what I mean like it doesn't have to be nationwide I could contact my council members and lobby hard for environmental changes in my area and then build up and and reach out to people and even these conversations I mean my mom and I were talking the other day about the David Attenborough documentary and she said I can't listen to any more of the sad stuff Mm. lots of people have got to that stage where they're like can't listen to the stuff about animals I can't listen to like the devastation so really how do you have continuous conversations about climate change which people are willing to keep listening to and willing to keep talking about and willing to make the change necessary and so that's one of the things I was like okay maybe that's what I can work towards it's conversations that people engage with and don't feel frightened of and and also feel free to say actually I'm scared shitless by climate change and I'm angry about this and I don't think I can do anything. You can do stuff. Everyone can do stuff. Um, start small, build up. And then maybe you'll be like the Norwegian youth who are taking their country to court. But that's... I mean... <laughs> end game. <laughs> that's what I want to get to. No, we're joking. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Um, yeah, no, totally. I th- that That is completely true. I mean, it can be overwhelming and it can be whatever. And people do 
sensationalize it for good reason because people weren't listening to them for a long time but you know for people that are out there thinking like ah it's so scary I don't know what to do about it I feel like you know in the history of the world a lot of bad things have happened um we're of course also in a global pandemic right now which Mm -hmm. is not the first time we've been in a pandemic but I think that using that fear and that stress and that worry to fuel the actions that need to sort of get us out of that situation. That's how people really get through it. I mean, I feel like the war is a really good example of how people did that awful situation, but they were just trying to use it as fuel to sort of make it as good as possible and get out of the situation kind of thing. I actually read a good essay about that, how people dealt with stuff in the war um, comparing to how we can deal with it during the pandemic. So yeah. So I thought I'd just run through the stuff, which is, this is in David Attenborough's latest film documentary called A Life on Our Planet. And I'm just going to quickly run through all of the things that are projected to happen by scientists. Of course, it's not like 100% certainty that these things are going to happen. But I'm going to do it super quickly and not in a stressful way. And I'm not going to sensationalise it. I just thought, let's put the facts out there. And then we can go forward with like what we can do to actually stop this from happening and to help it. Because we, you know, this is, this is a shit situation. This is a shit situation. And we are potentially the last generation that can do something about it. So let's know the facts, but let's use it to fuel ourselves. So firstly, all five mass extinctions happened as a result of a dramatic change in atmospheric CO2, which is what we're seeing right now. So let's not have another mass extinction yet. Basically, by the 2030s, it's looking like Amazon rainforests could be turning into more like dry savannas, which is an issue for water cycles. Fran is looking at me right now and she's like smiling, but she's like, oh my God, I'm stressed. Yeah, I am totally stressed. Which also, in the 2030s, we're potentially going to have an ice-free arctic in the summer which means that the sun reflected from the poles is going to be much less and the speed of global warming is going to increase as a result of that 2040s frozen soils in the north are likely to thaw releasing a lot of methane which is a lot more potent of a greenhouse gas than co2 so that is not good that's gonna that's gonna dramatically change it as well 2050s um we're going to have a lot more ocean heating acidity in the oceans Coral reefs, not good. Fish populations, not good. And then from then on, we're just going to quickly jump to the 2080s. Global food production, not good because we're going to have exhausted a lot of our soil by overuse of it with food that we don't need because we waste something like about a third of our food. Yes. Pollinating insects, bye bye. That's not good. We need plants to survive the whole world. And we're going to have more unpredictable weather, which is obviously can potentially cause a lot of devastation to a lot of communities. By 2100, a lot of parts of the earth are going to be potentially uninhabitable. It's going to be four degrees warmer, they're predicting. And another mass extinction, people, is on its way. Now, I've just said that in quite a jovial way. It's obviously not jovial, (laughs) but we just have to put it out there. And if it stresses you out, we're going to give you some resources 
<laughs> that you can look at in order to not allow this to happen because really that is the most important thing that we do not allow this to happen well it's like here's the thing when i watched that documentary i sobbed mm. for quite a while um at all sorts of moments in it animal moments and all of that i sobbed yeah when i watched that i when i was expecting to feel incredibly incredibly anxious and that's actually one of the reasons I haven't watched loads of these in the last year, because I had done so much research at the beginning of the year when the Australia fires were happening. And I just like, just locked myself into a panic about climate change. And this time I was like, oh, it's going to make me really anxious. It didn't make me anxious. It made me sad. It made me sad that we've known so much of this stuff for such a long time. But what I would say is those projections are based on if we do nothing, if we stay in the same patterns from here on and we keep doing the same things, that's what's going to happen. But we still have time to change. And even David Attenborough himself says, there's still hope. We just have to act now. We have to join together. We need to work together. And a new phrase that's come up a lot, which I keep bearing in mind, is we save what we can. We can't reverse climate change so much of it's happened already but we can save what we can we can reduce the melting ice we can um we can reduce our plastic pollution that's one of those things that could be implemented relatively quickly we are able to change this it's a choice both on the individual both on the citizen but also on our institutions and on our governments. Um, yes. I mean, that, I think that's also important to say that, you know, being worried about this is real. It's true. And a lot of people can feel helpless. And yes, it is like a lot. The majority of what this is down to is it is down to the corporations the to make those big changes that are going to make a big difference. Like that just has to happen but unfortunately they tend not to do those things unless they're pushed to have to by their consumers or the government by the citizens you know that is unfortunately how it usually goes i mean there's no question about it that is the stuff that makes the big difference we also have a personal responsibility to not you know add to the burden that the climate is having well our ecosystems and everything are having to um take politicize it and i don't mean that by um i say this a lot and i I can never tell whether i'm right or whether i'm wrong or whether i'm not seeing nuance but actually i do think that climate change needs to be politicized because and not in a partisan way it's not about like Republican versus Democrat, Labour versus Conservative. It's not about that. But it needs to be an issue spoken about politically every day. Every Wednesday when they're doing PMQs, Keir Starmer needs to ask Boris Johnson what he's doing about climate change. It needs to be spoken about regularly, politically. And, and not only that, because that's just like talking. It needs to be considered in every single department, in every single policy decision. It needs to be 
thought about it needs to be thought about when you're thinking about the economy when you're thinking about brexit when you're thinking about the education system the healthcare system even this pandemic because one of the projections is that more pandemics are likely to happen yeah so it needs to be a factor all the time because it affects everything and i think one of the things i've realized this week is you can never know too much about climate change and sometimes don't know what you don't know if you know what I mean when doing this research I've been like there's so much it affects so much and mm. I'm finding it difficult to absorb it all and I don't know how how agriculture affects it all the time and I don't know how these things work but because it does affect everything it needs to be considered when talking about everything that affects humanity like everything that affects society everything that affects the UK, the US, Brazil, like every country needs to be thinking about it as an emergency. Yes, yes. And actually, the Paris Agreement does encourage that, <laughs> which most countries are signed up to. Uh, yeah, well, most. It's like 188 out of 197 parties of the UN or whatever. But, you know, they, that that is relevant and um they are signed up to it so it does it does really need to um as you said be looked at in every in every decision so i think should we get into the the things that we can do um because i think that's the really important part that's the part where you know we can feel like we're doing something and uh i think well basically where I found most of the stuff about what to do and the ideas that I've had of what I can do have firstly come from the WWF website, which I highly recommend everyone looks at because it's so simple and, you know, easy and you can get information there. I mean, there's the living planet report on there, which is like so much information. And so you can get all the information that you might be interested in. You just want to have a look at, you just want to understand it a bit better. That's there. I feel like that's a really that's a really good resource. Um, of course, if you're able, you can join as a member and donate. And I think that's, to be honest, I mean, uh, money is a pretty important thing. So if you're able to, that is actually a really good way to support climate change by actually donating um, your money. Um, but also there are many other things that, are possible to do the first thing it talks about uh, in the tips on the website is using your voice and I don't know about you but I sometimes find that sort of scary and intimidating but I know you don't you use your voice everywhere who me yes do I yes sir you oh, write I, I email people oh yeah I write so many emails to so many different people in different like countries but i think the thing is that you know even if they don't respond like sending emails to your mp uh mm. speaking to people just in your circles that you know about it that that's how it really works that's how the message really gets spread that's how the ideas and tips of like what we can do um in our lives really get spread and yeah I mean, that is a valuable point, to be honest, because if you think about like Greta Thunberg, who did she start off 
um, I guess, trying to change her family. You know, they went vegan and they uh, reduced their use of cars and, and flying and they started to buy zero waste. And, you know, she started small. She started with her three family members and then started to expand out. In lots of my emails, depending on who they're to, I try and hammer home politicization of the movement. But I also try and hammer home that people in power have a responsibility to their citizens to protect their citizens from things that threaten them, that threaten their livelihood. I recently wrote to David Lammy, an MP, who is very into climate change, Labour MP. And I did, you know, I did the whole facts thing and I just like begged him, like just bring it up when you're in parliament because if politicians keep talking about it, then it's going to continue to be an issue. And I think in 2020, it sort of, it sort of fizzled out a little bit because 2019 was such a vocal year about climate change, but because of the pandemic, um, just fizzled out a little bit. I don't have to say this, but I have one phrase which I keep in my head, not even a phrase, it's like a couple of sentences that I keep in my head all the time. And it's about unity versus division. And mm. the reason is because we've been so politically divided lately that the concept of climate change has got partisan and people start to like argue over it. And it's just, it's counterproductive. And so, and I think I put this on Instagram, I said, there is far more that unites us than divides us. Political party and political preference make no difference to the science of climate change. We are united by our home on earth and united by the lives we lead on this planet. Global warming is inherently unpolitical and yet change is incumbent upon those in power. It is up to those in power to lead the fight against climate change. And I stand by that. I think that's true. I think, um, I really think Parties just need to put aside like personal party growth, whatever, to just get the job done. Um, yeah. You know, during the wartime, we had a coalition government because we needed one, because we were in an emergency situation. And I'm not saying we need a coalition government now, but I do think we need collaboration yeah. from our and political leaders. Yeah, and be able to treat it like an emergency situation. I think that a big reason why we do need to use our voices more and more and more. And, you know, even though, you know, the MPs don't necessarily reply to you, they're getting that pressure to, you know, do that stuff. So I think that's a really, I can't speak because I have not done this. I'm going to be very honest. I've not <laughs> done this because I, I, I'm very good at talking. I'm sure if I spoke to them, I'd have something to say. But formulating these things in, in writing is not my forte. Um, but I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try, <laughs> is what I'm going to say. So everybody, even if you feel bad at it, or you know, perhaps other things are more suitable for you, that's okay. I've done a lot of other things, but I haven't done that. That's okay. Um, things out there. And it's like, the reason I, I went towards writing and talking was because... I, to be honest, I'd have panic attacks every time I went to a protest. 
So it's like, right. That's not where I can put my energy and my resources, but maybe I can talk, maybe I can write things and I'll do my own lifestyle changes to try and, um, yeah, that's what I can do, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think that to go along with that, I think the second point is really important to, um, which is to be informed because I mean, it's kind of obvious, but if you are going to try and have these conversations with people, you do need to be informed. That does not mean that you have to know absolutely everything. It's just the more you know, then the easier it is to incorporate into your life and like the easier it is to, you know, be able to focus on the things that are really important to you. Because also climate change is a a massive issue that encompasses so many things so you need to sort of we're the most powerful when we're focused so if you Mm -hmm. pick points which you really care about if you pick the um you know the actions you can take that you feel like you can do well and that you really care about then that's going to be the most powerful thing not feeling like oh my god i have to do everything now that will not um it's like when you think about like i don't know all of the homework you have to do it's an absolute nightmare and you just procrastinate for hours but if you just think about one piece it's like okay i can do that piece. was that like um it was a children's book when we were younger the hungry caterpillar oh yeah it's like one bite at a time and then you get through the leaf so yes one bite at a time that's what we're focusing on one bite at a time yeah um but yeah so yeah of course another thing that is good is to as you've been saying to be political about it so um vote if you can and be informed about like who you're voting for and what they think about climate change because that's important and And as well like just go out there and ask i Oh my God, in January, we had people from, what was his name? Rory Stewart. And he's like a former um, a former conservative MP. Um, and then he left the um, conservative party, became an independent, and then he was running for the mayoral elections, which obviously mm. had been postponed and he's withdrawn. Mm. But we had um, a couple of his volunteers come to the house. Mm-hmm. And they were like, so you thinking of voting? I was like, yeah, well, of course I'm going to vote. And they said, okay, um, are you going to vote Rory Stewart? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, to be honest, I'm politically disenchanted at the moment. I'm fed up of like the polarized political system at the moment. There's no like, there's no middle ground. I can't find the middle ground. No one seems to be taking climate change seriously. And they sort of, they sort of left like, oh, I didn't know you were so, um, politically disenchanted at the age of 18 I was like well well you need be like I've become politically engaged and able to vote at a time where the country is more divided than it has been in decades but anyway I was thinking over it and then I was like okay my main issue is climate change I'm gonna write to Rory Stewart Mm. and ask him what he's gonna do I said to him um what do you plan to do for London in face of climate change? I do not want slogans thrown at me. I do not want you to tell me to vote for you. 
I want you to tell me without hidden agenda what exactly you would do as mayor of London to combat the effects of climate change. I was like, I know what I want and I'm not going to let them twist it into vote for me. It's like, don't be afraid to ask what politicians will do. And it's like, you know, when I was growing up, I was like, I'm definitely going to vote Labour when I get to 18 because my family voted Labour. And so there was that like family loyalty. When I got to 18, the more research I did, the more stuff I looked into regarding climate change and obviously other policies as well, but we're focusing on climate change. I was like, Labour ain't for me because they're not taking it seriously enough. So I voted a different party. So don't be afraid to leave party loyalty behind if it's if they are not taking it seriously, if your values do not align, if your climate goals do not align with theirs, just leave party loyalty behind. Ask your questions to a variety of people. Ask the Conservatives, ask the Green Party, ask the Labour Party, ask the Lib Dems, etc. Ask everyone and then decide who's taking this policy the most serious. That's not good English right there. We get what you mean. Yeah, like just who's taking it seriously and then go on from there and just don't be afraid to ask. No, I think honestly, and also they often don't have answers, to be <laughs> honest. It's true. Think about it. But the more, like we need to ask the questions that we care about. If we really care about climate change, we need to keep asking people about climate change. I mean, the politicians, we need to keep asking them about climate change because that's how they're going to have to think about it because people keep asking them about it. And if the more people care about it, the more they're going to have to do something. So let's care about it and let's make them do something. And like, <laughs> even not politically, just like talk to your family. Like, yeah. If you get a conversation going with your family and if, and I'm assuming most people listening to our podcast are young and living at home, talk about it, talk about how you can make your household more eco-friendly. If you're a student living with other students, how can you make eco-friendly choices? I know like money is an issue. I know lots of people bring that up when you talk about climate change and how to be eco-friendly. And the biggest thing I hear is, yeah, but I don't have enough money or I don't have enough money to buy this like zero waste thing. I don't have a zero waste shop near me, whatever. But there are things you can still do and have the conversation with your flatmates, with your parents, with your siblings, whatever, and state that it's important to you and like try and get the message across and try and convince them of your point of view. And, you know, it's not about like, you're a bad person if you don't believe in climate change. You're a bad person if you don't do these things. It's just about like continuing the conversation and trying to get enough people talking about climate change all the time. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Because the more people talk, the more people know and the more people care. And that is really, really the thing which is going to make the change. Um, I think also... For me, travel is a huge one, which I'm bad with because I travel a lot. And one thing that I found out is that one short haul return can be 10% of your yearly carbon emissions. So I just feel like do people can obviously do what they will with that. But just knowing that the one short haul flight does that 
is just I just think it's really important that we know the impact that the travel is having and that you know there's a lot of talk about you know cars not actually having as much impact but they still do and it's just it's just about being mindful of it it's difficult to say uh you know I'm never gonna drive a car again or be in a car again and that can be a little overwhelming but taking and until the government's put in place you know solid stuff just taking those small steps of being mindful of traveling and how much the emissions are sort of impacting it i think that's um very important and i think another thing we want to talk about was um eating sustainably because food is huge in the whole thing i mean the making of food and then the waste of food is like um a massive thing yeah i feel like on both those points i'm get i have another like little metaphor from my childhood do you oh, remember great. those little like hedgehogs and they'd cross the road it was like a little advert about crossing the road and it was like stop look listen but there was like this family of hedgehogs which had to oh, cross the road yeah but yeah and one of the lines they had is stop think and go and i've been thinking that a lot lately with regards food fashion traveling etc so it's just like instead of doing things on autopilot and just yeah. you know all that you stop you think about your, the choices you're making you think about whether there are any alternatives whether you have to do things whether you need to do things take say you want to buy a new say some trousers or something and you're going to your old website say urban outfitters or brandy melville whatever before you check out on autopilot just go stop think about it think about the other possibilities think about its consequences think about whether there's a better alternative like depop or an eco-friendly brand i get everything off depop honestly it's so good and then go you know it's just i feel like capitalism has sort of benefited from not necessarily thinking um when you buy things like we're conditioned like this we live in a capitalist society we live in a consumerist society we're conditioned like this we're in terms of fashion just as an example we're told to like constantly be updating everything constantly buying new things actually we don't need it right we know that but you're doing so many good things by not buying those trousers which perhaps you don't need if you need some trousers buy some trousers but if you're not then you are by not giving into this sort of consumerism idea that you have to constantly be updating having new things all the time you're saving the planet because you're decreasing demand so you'll buy less which hello saves you money you're saving yourself money and also you're reducing waste because the whole idea of this consumerist society is that you constantly keep buying new things right and throwing the old things away but this is all very impactful to the environment and you're benefiting yourself at the same time by not um by not give giving into it it sounds like there's something wrong with you if you do there's nothing wrong with you if you give into it because 
you know, we're in this society. It, it's kind of how it functions. But it's actually, I found it so interesting for me when I, I mean, I still am materialistic to a to an extent. Um, you know, I haven't, it's not like I've completely purged myself of it. But, so when I start um, questioning myself about, do I really need this? And okay, let's see if I can go like three months without buying any clothes or whatever. It's amazing how quickly I realize how much I don't need the stuff I was buying and how actually my life feels for me anyway, I'm not saying this is for everyone, but for me anyway, I find my life feels so much like more fulfilled when I'm not constantly trying to sort of like fill some gaps or, you know, improve myself in inverted commas. I mean, that's a whole podcast in itself, but I think that's a really interesting thing to question. Like, can I, you know, just cut down on buying these things can I actually you know stitch up my clothes instead of just buying a new one straight away I think um it's just something to experiment with and just see how it works for you anyway because I think it can be very valuable yeah I mean with on that I feel like the rule that I've come across which sort of enables me to feel less guilty as well when I do buy something is the 80 20 rule which is Mm -hmm. like 80 percent of the time you work hard to be as environmentally friendly as possible, but the 20% enables you to occasionally buy something that is, say, not environmentally environmentally friendly. I think another good thing on that note is just being aware of what you do buy. So when you are, you know, in the supermarkets, of course, then money comes into it as well when you're talking about, you know, food and um all these all these things that you buy but because our purchasing power is so strong it's a really important thing so if it's possible being mindful of those those things is really good and it's i mean with the internet now it's i also thought that the last thing that they say on the wwf website which is volunteer if you can which gave me some good ideas because um they have Actually, if you're really into conservation and you think that, you know, you might want to do it as a career, they have really cool um, youth internship. In, in, yeah, I just thought I said that weird, but I said it right. Youth internship, <laughs> which I don't know what they're like now in the pandemic. Probably not as great, but basically they're youth internship schemes. Whoa, that you can go to projects all over the world and learn conservation and things so that is a really cool thing um if that's something that you're interested in um but also just in your local area like nature reserves parks so many of them have you know groups and organizations that work in conservation and if you are interested in it but maybe not like as a career or what you want to primarily do then that's a really good way to just volunteer when you can or whatever and also gain experience so that then maybe you can go you know further afield and make a larger contribution from skills that you've learned in your local area so that was pretty exciting for me I um started to look into that um like doing stuff in the local area and I think that 
that's that's a fun thing um, to do for sure. Something <clears throat> something I came across was guerrilla gardening. Oh, what's this? It's it's great. It's when people just so you know where poles are and big trees are. There's often a bit of just like land, just some soil. And people yeah. are guerrilla gardening by planting lots of different flowers and plants in those little bits. Oh. And you see them dotted around. And it's just great. I mean, the only annoying thing is lots of people then dig them up. Oh. Sometimes the council dig them up, which is just not okay. But um, yeah, I thought guerrilla gardening looked really cool. That's so fun. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> Get out there and be a rebel by planting those <laughs> flowers in random places. Oh, that's the kind of rebel I'd be. Mm. <laughs> um, also, eating plant-based. Now, this can be quite a contentious topic. And we definitely don't want anyone to think that, like, you have to be vegan now, right? I mean, that's, like, not the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, food can stress people out. Um, because there are so many diets out there, there's a, easily a tendency to go, well, I don't know what to eat because everyone's telling me to eat different things. But generally, the, like, eco-friendly scientific consensus seems to be, like, best as vegetarian plant-based again 80 20 rule could easily apply and you know 80 percent of your diet is plant-based or vegetarian whatever and you still occasionally have eggs or some forms of dairy that's fine but generally i think the consensus is try to eat more plant-based yeah and i think that maybe for people who find that overwhelming or who just their brains literally turn off when <laughs> say the word plant-based um i get it but one thing that i got from oprah actually which is not from oprah but i just heard on one of oprah's shows is one plant-based meal a day which i feel like is more for a lot well i am vegan slash plant-based myself but it's been quite a long journey to sort of get there i started cutting stuff out pretty um slowly so I started with red meat then and this is over like a space of maybe three or four years so I started like okay no red meat and then I was like okay no meat at all like no white meat either but I would go in and out of it so even now that I'm pretty much vegan the whole time I mean I'm not so strict with myself I won't eat meat and fish and stuff but a little bit of dairy here and there sometimes um yeah, that's just a bit about me. <laughs> but uh, I just thought I'd say it before I launch in. But uh, one plant-based meal a day, I feel like that's that has a huge, huge impact on the environment, just having one plant-based meal a day. The impact is really, really massive. And I think it's not necessarily too difficult. For example, this is the simplest one. With your cereal just have a plant-based milk that's your one meal one plant-based meal a day and um, it's not more expensive lots of oat milks i wouldn't suggest almond milk because apparently almond milk is not great for the environment either because of how much water it uses 
but yeah. oat milk is fine we have tons of oats in britain um so you can probably get a local oat milk and i use a vegan butter called naturally lovely it's danish but it's the same price as the butter that my parents use which is full dairy so in terms of money it's not any different for a lot of things yeah things like i haven't come across like a good eco-friendly toothpaste yet i've tried the powder stuff which is like zero waste but vile i've tried charcoal I've tried those little tabs that you put in your mouth and then you brush with. It's just all mank. There are some... There are expensive good. ones as well, but... Yeah, they are, they are a bit pricey. Although I've seen an ad for some on Instagram. I'm using like an eco-friendly Colgate at the moment. And then I was like... It's like a new version of Colgate, but it's eco-friendly. Mm. And I was like in the shop and then like this huge array of Colgate toothpastes and this one eco-friendly one. And I'm like, why does that have to be like the anomaly? Why can't it be the default? If you have the technology to make eco-friendly toothpaste, why, why only one? You have all these varieties, one eco-friendly toothpaste. To buy the eco-friendly one, then they'll all be eco-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, great. Well, that's that's really great. I think it's important for us to just be real about the situation that, you know, this is happening and it's scary and it's difficult, but there are positive things happening, which is good. And we need to just keep trying to push for more positive things happening because that's how we're gonna get out of this mess so i think generally let's go let's act now (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, yeah and if you want to reach out to us to talk about climate change then go ahead our instagram is at sweetness and ponies obviously (laughs) (laughs) obviously (laughs) Oh, nice. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sweetness and Ponies podcast, which was a big jumble of all of our ideas of what we're thinking about in climate change and how we think that other people can, you know, make a difference. Um, But these are the kinds of conversations which we think are important for people to have, which is why we wanted to put one out there. So that um, especially young people who don't know necessarily how to talk about this can do it. So we hope you enjoyed and be well. You have been listening to the Sweetness and Ponies podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we love the support we've been getting. Please follow us on our social media on Instagram at Sweetness and Ponies.